I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Smashpot. Columbia Pictures presents The Spice Girls. All right, we're coming. In their film debut. Victoria, Emma, Mel B, Jerry, and Mel C. It's a story of love. I think with boys, you should be able to just wheel them in. Yeah, and order them like a pizza. Yeah, no cheese. Compassion. It is really too hot in here. I need a fan. <sighs> and misunderstanding. Would you like an hors d'oeuvre? No. But I'll have one of these pie things. Make your choice. Oh, I like the blonde one. No, 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 no. Sporty. Rock your world. Hello. And spice up your life with the Spice Girls. Spice World. Hello and welcome to Smash Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we're on a magical mystery tour of 90s nonsense with cameos, colours, WTF, and noise. Yes, it's Spice World. And joining me to talk about it is writer and viral sensation Mark Haynes, who can be found on Twitter as at Mark Haynes with a C. Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same old. Yeah, yeah. So you're the viral sensation, you're the man of the Roger Moore story. Yes, I was. And you made me a viral sensation. Ah, well, I don't like to boast. Put a little Roger Moore story up on Facebook and you yeah. said, would it be possible to chuck this on Twitter? 36,000 retweets, I think. Astonishing. What, what was really funny about it is there was no negative stuff. No. I didn't get one weird tweet from anyone even saying, oh, this is all bullshit. None of that. Everyone was really, really super nice about it. And you raised money for UNICEF. The little story is basically about giving me an autograph when I was a kid mm. and then I met him later and he was the world's greatest man and so I still had the autograph really what it is is the proof of the story so in the end I just said let's raise money for UNICEF uh, which is Roger Moore was a uh, ambassador a ambassador for the UNICEF and uh, yeah it, it raised in the end about three and a half thousand pounds it was lovely and it was fitting for the man he was so good to me when I was a kid and he was so good to me as an adult it was nice to turn all that into something else that was good yeah. It's really worthy, this, isn't it? This it is, is like a sort of Radio 4 thing yeah. that you'd get, and it would end yeah. there, and someone would go, ah, oh, lovely story. So, Mark, what would be your first record you'd take to the island? <laughs> it's going to be Sheena is a punk rocker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, here we are. We're going to talk about Spice World. You know, at the start, when you say it's for people who love, hate, or just aren't asked by. Yeah. I really went for a, a film. I don't think anyone will be anything but not asked by. Yeah. And I chose it. Obviously, it has to have a connection for Bond. Yeah. And it's actually the first one that came to mind for me for a Roger Moore cameo. Mm. 
What did you think of it as a film? Pretty bad. Yeah, I saw it at the time. I had a girlfriend at the time who was mildly interested in the Spice Girls. Uh-huh. I didn't see it at the cinema, but I saw it on video. I didn't enjoy it that much. It's it's a funny combination because it's there's everything wrong with this film. Hmm. Right, it's not funny. It's not interesting. It's not thrilling. It's not well acted. It's not well written. No. It's not fun. But I sort of don't mind it. It's going for a hard day's night, isn't it? Sense of urgency that hard day's night is where they have to go to a show yeah. and things go wrong. What's interesting about it is they do it at a time when the Spice Girls as a band are sick of being the Spice Girls. Yeah. And so they're basically the most famous people on earth. Hmm. And as it begins dipping, they start writing a film. Yeah. And it's a really weirdly bleak film about how awful it is to be in the Spice Girls. Yeah. It sort of seems so against the brand that it's actually really weird watching it back. Didn't Jerry leave like soon after? She left I think about a year after. Yeah. But the seeds are really setting it. There's a really weird thing with her where you think if you haven't seen this film who would be the person who all the fun revolves around? Mm. Why? It will be funny bubbly Jerry. Yeah. And every single line she has either makes her look like an idiot or they actively have the other Spice Girls explicitly say, Jerry, you're an idiot. It's such a horrible bullying film within the middle of this sort of like female unity. Well, they've tried to expand their roles. You know, mm. like, they're not just going to be sporty. She's going to be sporty, but she's also going to be on an exercise bike. She's not just going to be posh. She's going to have Gucci dresses. That's as far as it goes. It's so poorly executed. But what it does is it reminds you actually how good they were. Mm. And the Spice Girls, it's not like anyone listens to their music anymore. No. No one listens. You never hear their songs. You never hear them played in the radio. Because I don't think the music is very good. But what was good was the five of them together. They were something sort of exciting. And the film, like the music, is not very good. But it's a reminder as to why they were just so huge. Probably put it on record now. I quite like a couple of Spice Girls songs. Which ones? Um, I like Say You'll Be There. Uh-huh. And uh, Spice Up Your Life. Quite like that. The great Spice Girls song that yeah. nobody talks about. Yeah. And also the one they did, Who Do You Think You Are? That's a great song. <laughs> um, one of the first things that struck me about this was the opening credits. When it said, original music by... Paul Hardcastle. Yes. My goodness. The reason behind that is he's on the same label, or he's managed by the same guy, Simon Fuller. Right. Who is who is the Spice Girls manager at 19 Management. He's the Brian Epstein of the group. Very yeah. much so. Now, he was sacked by the group just before the film came out. Really? I didn't know this. The film itself foreshadows yeah. what's about to happen in their real lives. Yeah. So once you, once you begin sort of reading the history of it, mm. your Spice history, when you watch it, it becomes sort of quite an interesting, weird, postmodern what what's real, what's not. Yeah, I and mean, you also get the, the credit in the title saying, based on an original idea by the Spice Girls. I imagine that idea was, shall we do a film? Yeah. It's written by Kim Fuller. Yes. Kim Fuller was, was known in the 80s. He did things like Not 9 O'Clock News. Lenny Henry Show. Yeah, which he was really good. I mean, it was yeah. a great special, that, called Live and Unleashed. Yes. That was really, really good. I went to see that at the Watford Palace Theatre. I think I might have as well. <laughs> and it was the moment where you went, do you know who's the biggest stand-up on earth? It's probably Lenny Henry. Because you get that excellent bit at the beginning for the video mm. where he impersonates Richard. Richard Pryor and Steve Martin. You do. And they're both really good impressions. They are. And yeah. he's taking his position in the pantheon of comic heroes. Yeah. It goes Pryor, <laughs> Steve Martin, yeah. Lenny, Lenny Henry. Henry. Kim Fuller, who writes it, mm. he mentions in, the, in some of the interviews that he gave that Jerry Halliwell was really hands-on with the script. Right. And I think you can see the problem with this film is there's a lot of hands on it. Yeah. Some terribly heavy hands. Yeah. Some awfully heavy hands. Awfully, like Hugh's hands. So they do their show at the beginning. We see them, it opens with them doing a version of too much 
mm-hmm. which, which is all I quite like that as well. I watched that and I actually thought this is banging. Yeah, they have a real top of the pops audience. Yeah, and it's a weird thing to see real people in a film mm. because everyone's really made up. The lights are all great, and then you get these really rag baggy ordinary people, yeah. and it's just delightful to see. You forget in the nineties, not everyone was wearing designer gear. Yeah, they've all got really sort of faded like global hyper color t shirts mm. on. It's a lovely time capsule of the glorious nineties. We've gone past Britpop now. We're into um, girl power. Tony Blair is our Prime Minister. So yes. six months after that glorious changing of the guard where mm. anything seemed possible. Yeah. And you've got these five girls who suddenly become global megastars. And mm. it was that sense in the 90s that the young were suddenly getting their go. Mm. The other thing is you forget how absolutely knockout Mel C was. She's clearly the only one out of them who's a singer. I, I, think, I don't mean to be horrible, but she's got a voice and everybody else just has got a speaking voice. It's sort of amazing when you watch it back how basic they were as a performing group. I'm sure what the world needs right now is two men in their 40s to be talking about the Spice Girls. The Spice Girls are a phenomenon. Mm. And like something like One Direction, mm. I couldn't name you really one One Direction song. No, I, I, I don't think they do a dance and they all look the same. I don't know what they are. Yeah. The Spice Girls, they're not really about the music, are they? No, that was clever about them is they were labelled so yeah. you, you wouldn't forget their names. There was something there for every girl who was watching that. Yeah. I'm like that one. And that mm. gave them a great in. I don't quite understand why no one's done this again. No. They tried it with S Club 7. You know, if you were a racist kid, you could be like Joe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but Kim Fuller also wrote all the S Club movies. Oh, did he? Yeah, this was there, his second. There's S Club movies. There is Seeing Double. It's called Jesus Christ. I didn't know there was an S Club movie. There's no good S Club songs. Oh, yes, there is actually. Yeah, there ain't what? no party like an S Club party. Yeah, I mean the Nazi party. <laughs> So they do their little performance, yeah, and then they go off, and then they start doing this. What happens a lot in this film, where you get five people talking over each other at oh, the same time, awful. and you're like, well, "What's what's going on here?" And then they walk past, and there's Elton John's just walking there, and he's like, "Darlings!" <laughs> My favourite thing is they all give him a kiss, yeah, and then there's a shot of him as they sort of walk off, yeah. and he's covered in lipstick, and he goes. Oof. He's like Kenneth Connor. Yeah. He's also the first cameo that you see that they've clearly been given an hour yeah. to do the scene with that person. Yeah. This is not a film that they look like they've spent a lot of time on. Oh, no, no, no. And and what amazes me is that Elton John is one of the first people in this who is quite happy to just lie down under the Spice Girls bus and get run over. Absolutely, yeah. No care about how they're going to look or come out of it. No. I just want to be in this thing. It's another problem with the film. Nobody quite knows what sort of film this is going to be. No. So the Spice Girls are fine because because they're just doing what they normally do, which is they turn up and they do something and then they go home and it might be good, it might be bad. But the actors in this really struggle because they haven't been told whether it's tongue-in-cheek, whether it's serious. So everyone is doing something different. And Elton John, he doesn't kind of go for it with gusto because I don't think anyone knows. No, It's almost like everyone who appears on screen, their eyes are slightly flickering to see if someone is going, yeah, that was it, great, Mm. great. Mm. So it gives it a really uncomfortable watch the whole way through because nobody feels relaxed and you get the impression I, I think probably the one connection here I think is that everybody in it has got a daughter you've got Bob Geldof definitely yep. got daughters yep. Jennifer Saunders got daughters mm. uh, Richard E. Grant he said he only did it because his daughter was a Spice Girls fan that's right Roger Moore said that he only did it because his grandchildren wouldn't forgive him there you go Tony Blair was supposed to be in it as well Yeah, they had a cameo all lined up for him and he was supposed to be doing a press conference outside Downing Street where he'd say and my favourite Spice Girl is and then he'd be interrupted 
Madrid. And then we meet Meatloaf as their driver. Yeah. Who's supposed to be Frank Bruno. Yes. I don't mean Meatloaf is dressed as Frank Bruno. <laughs> I mean, Frank Bruno was originally cast as the driver. Apparently, he brought his son on, and his son wanted to take a picture with the girls and wasn't allowed. So Frank Bruno quit in protest. <laughs> what that tells me as well is the fees to appear in this movie are yeah. not necessarily sky high. No. So they, they get on their bus and it's got a clever, I'd say it's clever, fun idea that the bus is like the TARDIS. You go inside yeah. the bus and it's this vast space where they mm. all got their own little areas. Mm. And obviously their areas, because they're girls and they're stupid, <laughs> are all made out. I'm being harsh, sorry, everybody. But you know, they're like the sporties areas got an exercise bike. It looks it? like a sports direct locker. Yeah, it it's does. really it does. depressing. And a baby's got this swing, and I'm really uncomfortable with the characterization of baby in this film because she's very infantil infantilized, infantilized. Thank you. Mm. Uh, to a degree that's really uncomfortable. She seems like she's a little bit mentally subnormal. Yeah. As a character, what do you do with it? You can't have her eating fucking rusks and not being able to talk no. so they just do nothing with it it's like her weapon is to appeal to paedophiles there's a bit at the end where she has to get a policeman to let them off oh that's really uncomfortable it's really horrible that's kevin McAnally as well yeah. really great actor yeah even he is struggling to work out what his motivation is as the policeman so yeah they're on their bus and uh, there's a hilarious scene where scary's looking for her shoes jerry's got them on <laughs> yeah you didn't see that coming and then <laughs> scary section which is never which is completely ill-defined it is she has yeah. no character in this film none at all nothing she's not she's not scary she's no, not aggressive no they try and do it with their hands they say that jerry's wearing her boots and she gets cross about it but yeah. not really cross about it uh, there's a lot of information they sort of give you about jerry's got her boots and you think well this must lead to something because mm. why would you spend so long talking about you know her having your boots no reason. I yeah. don't understand what all this nonsense is. There's so much stupid, nonsensical filler. It's just filler. It's exactly it. It's just mm. filler. Does Jerry have a defined area? No. Oh, yeah, she's playing chess Yeah, with uh, Scary. They wanted to do the joke about the, oh, checkmate. What's checkmate? That, you, you bishop and all that. Old, yeah. You know, the old jokes everyone always does about chess. This is full of straightforward draft one gags yeah. that you'd put in a project that you didn't really have a handle on. Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems with this film. The film is about a fictionalised Spice Girls, and it's about how the men around them, the press baron, the agent, the head of the label, are all trying to impose their will on them mm. in a way that they're uncomfortable with. Well, in real life, this film is written by Kim Fuller, who doesn't seem to really have a particular interest in girl power or feminism or the pop industry. You get Bob Spires, who is the director, former director of Faulty Towers. They brought him along. He's a great director. He's a great TV director. It feels like an ITV special. Yeah. By the numbers. They're playing chess, one shot, two shot, joint shot, and out. It's so undynamic. In a way that the Spice Girls, they were dynamic. Mm. You think of like, you know, I think they were at their best when they were on like Saturday morning kids TV. Yeah. You'd stick them on going live or live and kicking and they would be a bit of chaos. They'd be a bit rough around the edges. You didn't quite know what they were going to do, but it was going to be fun. And in this film, they are absolutely squashed. They don't look like they're having fun at all. And Bob Spires, he, he did an interview where he said until he got offered the job, he'd never even heard of them. He'd never heard of the Spice Girls. What? You, they were on every pack of Walkers. They were on every Pepsi. Yeah. They had their own fucking Cadbury's Spice Girls chocolate bar. Bob Spires hadn't heard of them, and they put him in charge of it. The other screenwriter is a guy called Jamie Curtis. He also said, oh, I've never heard of them. Where have you been the last <laughs> two years? You know, uh, have you heard of Game of Thrones? No. Would you like to make the Game of Thrones movie? Absolutely insane. And mm. so what you get is this film about all these men don't really understand this phenomenon, but they rise above it. And what you get in reality 
is a load of men who don't understand this phenomenon and who end up making a shit film as a result. Yeah, but at least you get to see Mel C's acting chops. Well, you get Victoria, <sighs> you know, because her thing, she's posh, right? Yeah. And she has got loads of black Gucci dresses. And she's talking, she's, you know, deliberating as which one she's going to wear. Mm. And then Mel C says, well, maybe you could wear one of the black Gucci dresses. Better than that. I'm doing her a disservice. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, She's the star of this film. She is. Mel C. Yeah. She is absolutely the star. She holds it together. Those gags as well. They're giving these weak panto gags to the hottest pop stars in the world. Mm. And it's just... And they're, and you know what? They're game, the Spice Girls. They are game. They are giving this everything they've got. Some of them don't have as much as others to give. But they're giving it all they've got. And they, they, they are being crippled by the actual production itself. You say this is written by men, mm. directed by men. Mm. When you get the bit we were talking about earlier about Jerry's wearing her shoes, that quickly turns into girls lying on top of each other and fighting. <laughs> yes. That's a man thing, isn't it? Very uh, much it, so. It'd be really good if you all got on top of each other now. And do, you, fought. do you know what be good as if one of you was put over the swing <laughs> that baby's on and she's very cross and she, you know, I mean... Some spanking. This film does a really good job of not going down that route, mm. but it always feels like it's about to. I, I do remember someone seeing it at the time, and I said, "What's it like?" And they said, "It's like the first five minutes of a 1980s American porno." Yeah, it's that level of acting, directing, lighting, and dialogue. The, the one thing that stops it being a disaster is the five girls. Mm. There's something about them. They're so likeable. And and they remind you about how likeable they were. You take them for granted. Spice Girls, you know, boring, who cares? And actually, the five of them, good God, they're working hard. Yeah. Um. So then we, we cut to Norm from Cheers, yep. who's decided to be in this, and Mark McKinney. Yes. Now, at the time, when this came out, this was the thing that upset me the most, because uh-huh. I was a massive fan of Kids in the Hall. And I, I didn't know at the time he'd gone to SNL and it hadn't gone well for him. When I first saw this and he was in the credits, I was like, no. <laughs> and then he's in it, and he's terrible in this. He does nothing. Just one of those roles that this script has been written, and it doesn't matter who they're getting in. They have no idea who they're getting in to do that role. Yeah. And they get him, and he has to do what's written on that page, and it's like ashes in his mouth. He's such a talented man, and to see him to just do this, it's Absolute. really horrible. Absolutely. It's so weak. George Went gets nothing to do. Yeah. Again, it's one of these 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 sort of cameos that you can't imagine it took more than a morning to do. Yeah. And again, he doesn't know really what his character is. There's a, a little bit, and obviously we'll get to him with Alan Cumming, but Alan Cumming, in one of the DVD making-ofs, <laughs> which I did watch, which are brilliant, because uh-huh. it's full of coded messages. Right. But he says, um, you know, my character was um, very sketchy. What he doesn't say is, but we fleshed it out. Hmm. He just leaves it there, hanging like a sort of rotten I feel, I feel sorry for him in this as well. He's got nothing to do. We haven't mentioned Richard E. Grant, and he is bringing his with nail... Brio. Yeah, you know, just totally being uh, hyper. I mean, is it acting? No. I don't know what it is. Jazz. <laughs> and there's Claire Rushbrook as well, who just yes. done Secrets and Lies. And yes. I was hot property. Plays his sort of PA. Fuck those. I mean, even that is yeah. sketchily yeah, done, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. She's also got the most 90s thing in the world, which is a little red AIDS ribbon, ribbon that she it. wears the whole time. Which I should imagine, in 97, in a mainstream kids' film, is actually sort of quite a progressive thing. I shouldn't think. I shouldn't think you've seen one of those before. You've reminded me as well, saying ninety-seven. Mm. That it's the twentieth anniversary of this film. It is. And when I put it in Google the other day to look up some facts about it, the first thing that came up was Showtimes. They've they've released it again at the cinema. Have they released it uncut? What like Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things in Spice World the movie than there are in Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Gary Glitter did have a cameo in he this. Did have a cameo? Yeah. Which is a four-minute one, which is cut out. Yeah, because he'd just been arrested at the time. It was cut out before release. Yeah. But they then do a cover 
of hello. I presume that must have been cut out because otherwise there must be some kind of publishing that Gary Glitter gets. Must be. Saying that, is it going to affect the narrative of this film if you lost a 10-minute section? No. Because no, no. nothing happens. Nothing happens. Originally, Grant's got a very thankless task. He does a lot of heavy lifting, yeah. running around, spouting stuff, and he even gets to do these horrible ADR moments where the, you'll see a bus drive over a bridge and go, now hear this. Oh, it's awful. And he's saying something ridiculous like, tomorrow you're at home base. On the bus, he's got an office yeah. in this TARDIS bus, yeah. which is on the second level. Yeah. And the things behind him are brilliant. There's a load of computer monitors that haven't been even turned on. <laughs> so they're just like out of an office. <laughs> and there's a huge fax machine. And at the time, that would have looked like the epitome of success. Yeah. And now it just looks like he's a fucking hoarder. Yeah. On the back of his office are seven clocks uh-huh. with times across the world. But whoever's put them there doesn't understand how world time works so all of the minute hands are different so the way hours work is you go an hour forward so what he's actually got this great manager is a load of fucking busted clocks (laughs) it's so depressing and then he phones Roger Moore he does he's the head of the record company his thing Mm. is that he drops loads of really random sayings which I'm guessing written down are supposed to be hilariously funny like for instance when the speeding melon hits the wall it's Christmas for the crows. What the fuck does that mean? Do you know what's worse, you see? Is you've done it out of context. Yeah. In the film, it's out of fucking context as well. <laughs> so it's not like you sort of, oh, that's just a joke that failed. Yeah. These are like fresh fucking turds sitting on a table. And Roger has to pick them up yeah. and deliver them to you. The drummer who is without sticks has no backbeat. When Roger Moore delivers that line, it's clear this is the first time he's ever seen the word backbeat. Yeah. He looks like he's having fun, but he also looks like he's having fun because he's turned up and he's gone, well, I've got no idea what any of this is about. Yeah. I don't know what the lines mean, but pop me in the jacket, I'll sit down and I'll do it to the best of my ability. I already did it in a day. They, they do a lot of Bond yeah. bits, so he's got the yeah. white cat he's got first, a white cat to start with. And then it becomes a... Progressively stranger. Till yeah. it's a piglet that he's Until he's, he's, feeding. Bre- he's feeding a pr- pig milk. Yeah. Richard E. Grant says something along the lines of, I think there's revolt stirring. And Roger has got a martini yes. glass and he says, oh, no need for any stirring. Yeah, and you even see him later on making a martini and you literally see him shaking it and then pouring it into the glass. The, the credits on this, they're really cheap, cheap. knock-off, Horrible. Bond opening credits. Awful fonts and everything. Oh, oh. it's so bad. Might they, as well be Comic Sans. It's so cheap. And what's horrible about it is it tells you from the start that everything done in this film is going to be done cheap. Yeah. It's going to be done for 30p. That's what annoys me about this is that they've tried to do Hard Day's Night I was thinking if they'd have done it like, for instance, like Spinal Tap or something. Yeah. Where you've got like a pretend documentary crew following them around and making it funny. I, I, do you know it's what? so much better. But when I was watching it, I was thinking, what would this film have been if they'd brought it to you? Yeah. What would you have done? And what I probably wouldn't have done is do a film about five girls who don't really like the job, surrounded mm-hmm. by management who think they're crap. Yeah. And then not give it a payoff or any jokes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, then we, uh, after his briefing with Rog, he's got to go back to the band and say, sorry, you can't have your day off. And they pretend to be really cross. Th- mm. This is actually the bit that really annoyed me. Mm. What happens? Well, they storm out and then they come back a second later and go, are you joking? So what, you, what they show is they show girl power and unity. Yeah. They show the power of a union against <laughs> a heartless boss who doesn't care for their well-being. And they stand up to him and they walk out. Girl power. Yeah. And then they come back in and go, ah, no, only joking, we'll do exactly what you want. Yeah. Kim Fuller. 
You. Um, so yeah, then we get a bit where they they do a rehearsal with Jules Holland and his Good Time Band, whatever the fuck they're called, Boogie Woogie Bollocks. Yeah, and they're doing their um, Say You'll Be There song. Yes, but they're not doing it very well. And there's a really terrible bit where the keyboard player is playing fine and they dub over this bum note and he has to look all embarrassed. Like, what are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> she says, Mel B says, sort your fingers out, div. That's it. Yeah. The last time that's ever made a film, Lawrence of Arabia, I think. True. <laughs> <laughs> when <laughs> when. And Anthony Quinn turns up. What are you doing here, you div? <laughs> it took ages. Um, you know, she said that their, their pregnant friend, and she's so anonymous, I've, you know, I haven't even written down her name. Nicola. Nicola. She turns up, she's been left by Trevor. Who the fuck is called Trevor in 1997? <laughs> but again, this is uh, a writer's decision, and he gives the names of the people from his generation. Kim Fuller is not a man in his 20s, like the Spice Girls are in their early 20s. Yeah. He is a man who is in his... Mid-40s, writing about young people. And so, of course, it would be natural that the most desirable women in Britain have partners who are called Trevor and Stephen. Oh, God. So she starts talking about how she's pregnant and Trevor's done a runner. And then they're like, oh, wouldn't it be awful if we had kids? Yeah. And then you get this weird fantasy bit where they're all mothers. Yeah. And this feels like six formers doing a play. Doesn't it? Mel C, they make Waynetta Slob. Yep. There's so much wrong with it, but they did with this with Mel C, who can act, yeah. and she's like Waynetta Slob, and she's talking to the others about how her kids haven't gone to university. Yeah. Pick the one who is most obviously not from the leafy middle-class suburbs outside London. Mm. Pick the girl from Liverpool, and, and write a line where she says, my kids don't go to university. Kim Fuller. Kim Fuller. So anyway, we get past the baby fantasy, and then we... Oh, I've written down here, it's like a CBB's panto, because you're thinking, yeah, they can't act, but it's all for Christmas. Yeah. This is an actual film. It is. So then we see Barry Humphreys as Kevin McMaxford. Yeah, this is very subtle. Mm. And he's literally dribbling while he's talking to Jason Fleming, hot off of Lockstock. And then you get these really weird jokes where it starts raining in his office. Uh, I couldn't work out whether that was... I can't imagine they'd have turned to Barry Humphreys and said... You know, do you want to have a go at your own lines? Because he's slightly playing a Les Patterson, but not enough mm. that it's fun. Mm. And this bit where it rains in the office is the sort of first bit where you get magical realism suddenly appears. Yeah, yeah. In a really boring setting. Yep. The, the Spice Girls at the time were really being hounded by the Paps. Mm. And they were on the front pages of every paper every single day. Yeah. There's a bit in here, which it's a couple of scenes later, and it really made me laugh because in the early scenes, there's tabloid sort of things that say Spice Girls under pressure, yeah. which aren't tabloid headlines mm. that's too woolly mm. but one scene there's a bloke just sitting at a cafe and he's reading a paper and it just says the headline is just spice girls yeah i saw that yeah. nothing else it's when they go past on the bus that's it? right yeah. so lazy there's also a bit wouldn't that... you have put spice girls go past on bus yeah there's a fucking joke yeah it's easy no just just stick the word spice girls what, what what's the story about it doesn't matter just spice girls no one's going to watch this. You should have written this. That's a much oh, better joke. Furious with Kim. There's Fun. a bit as well where they get off the bus mm. and Richard E. Grant has to go to a photographer to try and, for trying to take upskirt pictures. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I missed that bit. He says, no upskirts. Wasn't this made while Diana was alive and then she was dead when it came out? Not so. the only one as well. Gianni Versace. Oh, was he in they it? They made references to oh, him. They? Yeah, they make references to Princess Diana. I think you can see the bit. It's just them driving past Buckingham Palace oh, yeah. and they say hi to everyone. They give Jerry Halliwell the one where she says, hello, Prince Charles. Yeah. Have you seen the Molly Deneen documentary, Jerry? No. Molly Deneen, great documentary maker, makes a load of things about um, people returning from colonial Africa. She did oh. a really good series about London Zoo when it was on the verge of closure. Yeah. Um, she's making these you know, really high 
highbrow documentaries. And when Jerry leaves the Spice Girls, the first person who she contacts is Molly Deneen. She right. says, do you want to make a documentary about me? Yes, says Molly Deneen. And she goes and does this, and Jerry is an unusual person. It follows her performing for Prince Charles at his 50th birthday. Where she, do you remember? Do you remember that she sings "Happy Birthday"? Oh, like Marilyn Monroe, wasn't yeah, it? Like Marilyn Monroe, yeah. it was a little bit generous. Yeah, yeah. It was in, in the, the same sti- style. In the style. Yeah, yeah. In that bit, they show her backstage with a celebrity, Desmond Llewellyn. She barges into his dressing room. He has no idea what's going on. He is alarmed. And she starts going, here he is, he's the legend, he's the legend. And he's really confused. And as part of that, he sticks his hands up to sort of, because there's a camera being pointed at him. He's really, really alarmed. (laughs) So then um, you get another daydream. I can't remember how it comes about, because at this point I was just like thinking, what the fuck is going on? But you get Baby Spice. Oh, they say she's so innocent. That no one would ever think she'd do anything wrong. Right. And then you get this Poirot sketch with Hugh Laurie as Poirot. Oh. I think he's probably got a daughter. <laughs> uh, with Baby Spice having guns and all sorts. Yeah. And then he blames someone random. Again, a sketch a child would have written if a, ske- a child was going to write a sketch show. But then you get this bit again, because it's been written by a man, thinks, why don't you all swap clothes? Yes. Mel B dresses up as Jerry. Yes. Absolutely fucking monsters her. Yeah, she does. Oh, they're doing impressions of each other. Yeah. They're all really benign. And then Mel B comes out dressed as Jerry and she says, um, blah, 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 um, girl power, um, feminism, do you know what I mean? <laughs> fucking, if I was Jerry Halliwell, the premier, I'd have burst into fucking tears. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty monstrous. Savaged. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, and then we meet Richard O'Brien. He comes in as a scouse spy for Kevin McMax 
Pickford, and, and he's got to get all the information on them. Another sort of cameo with a half story attached that goes if, uh, really fucking nowhere. No, nope. really poor. And then they go to—is this when they go to the party and meet Bob Geldof and Jennifer Saunders? Yes. And yeah. Bob Geldof, who, as we say, has got daughters, gets himself humiliated by getting Scary's haircut. And Jennifer Saunders is playing the same character from Ab Fab. Do you know why she was called Adina Monsoon, by the way? No. Adrian Emerson, when he was at university, I think, his nickname was, I think it was Ed Monsoon. So when he did it, he did a comic strip film called Ed Monsoon, A Life, where he played a serial killer, I think. Right. And then when she used it for Ab Fab, she called it Edina Monsoon. So it actually means Edmondson. Yeah, I just thought I'd drop that tidbit nice. in there. So yeah, Bob Gerlach gets his hair done. Jennifer Saunders does her bit from Abfab, then walks off, literally. Yep. And that's it. This is true of all the scenes. But I've got a, something written down here, which I'm guessing Roger Moore said, because above it I've written, this is so fucking bad. Hang your darts on the... I've written this one down. Is that what Roger Moore says? When the rabbit of chaos is pursued by the ferret of disorder through the field of anarchy, it's time to hang your pants on the hook of darkness, pants. whether they're clean or not. Yeah, so that's another example of how many random words, because I jumbled together to make it funny. Someone must have flagged this up. Hmm. Someone must have gone, well, you know, what, what is this? Hmm. And someone's gone, no, the reason it's funny is because it doesn't mean anything. Hmm. It, that's what's really funny. The whole thing is this guy is so out of touch. Yeah. And none of that comes across because it's no. just garbage. It would make more sense if he was actually saying things that were true and wise. Yeah, or make him sinister. Yeah. Make, raise some stakes. There are no stakes. Absolutely at not. any point in this movie, there no. is absolutely no stakes. Nothing. They fly to Italy now, yep. and they do the concert where they do Hello, the Gary yep. Glitter cover, and then Kevin Allen comes out and does his Italian that he used to do a lot. Yeah. Going, hey, get the mama, hey. <laughs> Literally what he does. Why are you a stopper? Yeah. The only thing that has dated about it mm. is the way that people talk about foreigners. Spice Up Your Life has got a funny line about yellow man from Timbuktu, and, mm. and you know, stuff like that. It, it's innocuous, and it's certainly not vindictive, but things like the Italian... It just comes out of some sort of 1960s Dick Emery world. Yeah. And this is, again, I'll come back to it, it's so annoying. This is the biggest pop group in the world. Yeah. And you are going through, <sighs> dusting it off, the Bob Monkhouse Christmas Cracker Book of Jokes. Oh, it's a bit harsh on Monkhouse. It is, yes, he is good. He would make this funny. That is fair enough, yeah. But I mean, mm. I'd have loved to see Bob Monkhouse write this fucking oh, movie. Can you imagine? Yeah. It would be, would be sexier. Oh, much sexier. Too sexy. Way too sexy. He'd be in it, shagging them all. <laughs> no dialogue. No. <laughs> I've just written here, there's bad jokes which are made worse by bad acting. They can't deliver anything. Nope. They couldn't deliver a fucking parcel. Nope. Do you get this kind of, the way they do hello, It's. it's I've written down here, pedo anthem. Yeah. It's like if Sidney Cook was a WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he'd come out to. <laughs> Please welcome Bad Penny Sid Cook. <laughs> Uh, there is I mean I mean, it's appalling they also they also have a sort of weird thing about the again they're all disillusioned with it where they're biting the hand that feeds them yeah. where they're constantly going on about you know oh we're on this terrible cheesy show in Italy yeah this is going to play in Italy and they're going to be like oh cheers mate so they get on their bus and the bus has to stop to go to the toilet right yep. and I started writing what there's a bus with no toilets on and then they have to put this bit like all the toilets are broken and I'm thinking that's Meatloaf isn't he he's done a, <laughs> he's done a big shit that's why he's called Meatloaf <laughs> He's totally done a shit. He's broken one, then I'll use the other one. He's broken that one. And then Richard E. Grant's like, why haven't you cleaned the toilet? And that's when he says, I'll do anything for these girls, but I won't do that. You won't do that. It's part of your job, mate. Yeah, get the fuck out. You're the bus driver. Get me Bruno. (laughs) And then this is very much like a child's written this film. It's like, then they meet an alien (laughs) in the woods and the alien likes them. Oh. 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 
First point of contact with aliens is Jerry Halliwell. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Watford's own Jerry Halliwell. You come from Watford, don't you? I do. Do you remember the sort of sense of pride? Yeah. The most famous woman in the world was from Watford. When this movie came out, I was at Leeds University mm. and Mel B was from Leeds. Mm. And I remember I was at Back to Basics, a big club in like one Friday night in 1996. And a rumour went round that she was going to turn up. It would be like now saying Rihanna's going to turn up to this essentially student nightclub in a regional city. Mm. And she turned up and she looked incredible and she was having the time of her life. It was the first time really that people of that level of international fame had regional bases. Yeah. Watford, Finchley for mm. Baby Spice. You've got Leeds, you've got Liverpool. You had your local spice. I mean, for the people of Watford, this was huge because before Jerry, there was the drummer from Let Loose who went to my school. That was it. So, yeah, they, they stopped for a toilet. And I've written down here, the alien, right, wants mm. a kiss on his face. How do we know that's not his genitals? <laughs> Again, the fact that this thing has been made for 80 quid yeah. and, and in two days. Yeah. The aliens, there are four of them, and they all have faces that don't fucking move. They look like Dr. Ruth. They're yeah. Halloween masks. Yeah. I mean, it's so cheaply done. I watched in the in the making of, they showed the making of that UFO. Is it a cardboard cutout? No, no. it's a proper huge UFO rig. Wow. on cranes and wow. the bloke was saying you know I've never done anything as big as this before and you must see it on, thing, on, on, the, on the screen and just go well that was a waste of fucking time yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this film's full of it I mentioned it before terrible fucking ADR mm. if you cut back to an exterior shot of the bus and you hear Richard E. Grant go what do you mean aliens yeah and then it cuts to another scene it's never mentioned again no so then is this when they take uh, Nicola clubbing no, this is where they have to go for dance lessons oh fucking hell with Mr. Step and then Michael Barrymore comes in yeah. and does Victor Spinetti from the Magical Mystery Tour. And do you know what? He does it well. He does it well, yeah. John Cleese turned that role down. He did. And Michael Barrymore has just gone, what would Cleese do <laughs> if Cleese was young mm. and could still move? Mm. That's the, the only bit in it that I laughed at mm. was where Barrymore takes them outside and he walks down a step. You know when you get to a little like one step that leads onto a lawn? Yeah. And you sometimes have to check your pace to yeah. make sure that you can get to it with dignity. Barrymore takes too long a step to clear it. And it really made me laugh. It's a proper physical gag. Yeah. That was the only bit in the film I actually found myself laughing. Yeah. He actually is the only person in this who pitches it right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? He knows what he's in. And it's a reminder of when he was good, mm. he was bloody good. So crisp. He is so prepared. And he just goes flat out to do it. He is the, the best thing in this film. It's a really odd bit, though. Yeah, I mean, like all of it, it doesn't work. Then, again, because it's written, written written by a child, they're going to stay in a house and it's a haunted house. It's a haunted house, <laughs> yeah. My favourite bit about that is, the, the reason they're in that haunted house is so the paparazzi, clever Richard O'Brien, yeah. can supposedly try and take snaps of them. He comes out of the toilet into an empty bathroom and just begins taking photographs of the empty bathroom. Just pointless. No one's saying, why am I doing this? What am I doing? And then you cut back to the girls, all sat in a bed together going, oh, it's a bit scary, we should probably stick together and then one of them goes oh it reminds me I had a dream about me having no head and I'm thinking what the fuck is going on <laughs> it's like they've done the first take and just printed it 
this is the epitome of a first draft movie. Yeah. There's no thought has gone into it. And, no. and nobody feels, I think it's that thing of, the reality is, there's a lot of people making a lot of money from the Spice Girls machine. Yeah. And they don't actually give a shit about the quality. No. They just want this out because it's got to be in the cinemas in five weeks' time. Mm. That bit doesn't make sense, fine, but it's got to be 90 minutes, leave it in. The bit that happens right after that is there's a scene where Jerry goes into a phone box and she spins around and comes. she comes out as Bob Hoskins. Yeah. She's turned into Bob Hoskins. Let's not go too far into what the fuck that means, because mm. I don't know. Bob Hoskins has got a daughter, by the way. But they get Bob Hoskins to say a line in her voice. Yeah. And Bob Hoskins approaches the thing and he says, Girl power, equalisation between the sexes. Equalisation? <laughs> That's not even the right word. Oh, this, this reminds me, this because uh, they then meet with Richard E. Grant the next day and he's really cross. Yeah. And I just said, this makes those Argos adverts he was doing at the time look like fucking network compared to this. <laughs> and then Jerry and her character trait, you talked about she hasn't really got a trait. I've remembered she has. Mm. She spouts facts. And she starts talking about how when some, an animal is attracted to another, they piss on each other. Yes. And she's basically telling Richard E. Grant to go and piss on Claire Rushbrook. Yeah. They give her another line where she, she does a fact. She says the manta ray is the biggest fish in the world. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's not. And it's not a joke yeah. that she's getting it wrong. Yeah. And later on, someone mentions a, a fish or a manta ray. And the only reason it's there is so they can have these two things like a callback. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite a callback because it's not a joke. But the manta ray, equalisation. The manta ray. Who thinks the manta ray is the world's biggest fish? Jerry Halliwell. Kim Fuller. Kim Fuller. Yeah. Fucking Kim Fuller. Kim Fuller. Uh, regarding the Bob Hoskins phone box thing, is it not that he was doing the BT ads at the time? Is that, you think, the connection? You know, it's good to talk. I suppose it could be, but I mean, it's, again, it's not very funny. No, no, it's not. we know it's not funny. <laughs> then you get this bit where they're going to meet their fans. And, again, because it's been written by a child, mm. they decide to go on a boat trip with their fans. And they go on a boat trip with Richard O'Brien in the water. Taking surreptitious photographs. Alan, what the fuck am I doing in here? Fire my agent coming. On another boat, following them around. Yep. And Richard E. Grant and Claire Rushbrook are watching from the shore, as it were. And they go along on the speedboat and a child falls out. And then they save the child (laughs) and they go back. And that's it. Not only, again, does it make no sense. Not only does it not tell you a story. Mm. They film it on a cold grey day. Yeah, it looks really miserable. They drive around Docklands before it's been developed. Yeah, so it looks like a shithole. It looks like Sarajevo. (laughs) (laughs) Empty buildings and cranes and it's depressing a child falls in the water. And they're playing that my boy lollipop. You're like, no. no." Wouldn't it have been good if that was the pivot where the true film they've made is revealed and it's about five people dealing with the death of a stranger's child. Yeah. The only time you should have My Boy Lollipop and Grey Skies is in a Kubrick film about Vietnam. Yeah. You shouldn't have it with... Uh, oh. It's a depressing day out. Yeah. It's so depressing. It looks like something you get on Groupon. Yeah. And just watching, again, the biggest stars in the world, yeah. people saying, no, it'll be fine. It'll be great. Get in. I think it's about to rain. Don't look up there. <laughs> get in the boat. It's so depressing to see a group being put through the, the ringer, working like troopers to try and keep this thing afloat. Yeah, so then the, the girl falls in the water. They rescue the girl. Mm. Richard O'Brien's there oh and isn't Richard E. Grant going oh thank god no one saw that and then Richard O'Brien's there as this super spy and he takes a picture even though he's hiding deep underwater as management you want to be in the papers yeah the band might not like the attention from the press the girls themselves but management yeah that's what they do they have a product the manager doesn't want it in the papers what the fuck wouldn't you want a story in the papers about your band rescuing a child who fell in the water yeah it doesn't make sense from literally not even from scene to scene no from line to line no 
Uh, and then they split, and they all go off. And then we see Roger in his safari suit echoing back to uh, Octopussy with a pig yep. instead of a cat. Got Telling Richard E. Grant he's got to get them back together because this Albert Hall performance. And then we get the band all separately fantasising about Brian's Café where he brings them all coffee. It says, in the old days, I think the caption says. They are at their lowest ebb. Mm. They go back to the cafe where they met, ignoring their regional diversity, which is such a big part of their appeal. Where they're charged £1.50 for six coffees. Yeah, 25p each. Yeah. In the pre-Nero and Costa days, yeah. when nobody really drank coffee. This is the only scene that works. Yeah. Where they, they do want to be in a cafe, which is, is it Scottish? Bill yeah. Patterson. He's got a daughter, isn't he? And there's a weird thing where they're suddenly having fun. Th- those two minutes, you see why they were so hugely popular. Mm. Because they are so likeable, they are so warm, they're really enjoying each other's company, and they're doing this really upbeat song. It's the one bit in the film that you could take out and you could go, there's lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You, you would not get that again. They look really happy and peaceful, and the rest of the film, you suddenly realise, has been tense and awkward and as soon as you just say to them just sit in this cafe there's no there's no audience do your big hit they are absolutely having the time this is what I've written down here why isn't the film about Brian's cafe is going to close unless they get this amount of money and they put on a performance for him Uh, this is the point where I went again if I was writing this film I want to see how they meet Mm. in Brian's cafe and of course they have to have a number one single because otherwise it's going to close the bit where they actually meet up it has closed and it's sort of it it says for for rent or whatever it's just gone it's like he's gone to prison for being a sex offender uh, yeah well I mean he wouldn't be the only person in the film that's happened (laughs) to and then Clifford who's Richard E. Grant I should say is in a bar and the Spice Girls, earlier on, we should say, are trying to create a plot where Clifford and Claire Rushbrook are going to get together because they're a man and a woman. Yeah. Obviously, that's going to happen. So he's in a bar, and he's feeling sorry for himself and drinking. She comes in and sits next to him. Barman comes over. It's Elvis Costello. Yes. Right? And this is the joke I liked. She says, I'll have what he's having and get one for him. And Elvis Costello goes, yes, of course. And he turns around and she goes, hang on a minute. And he turns around with a face like, oh, you're going to recognise me. And she says, oh, I'll have some crisps as well or something like that. That was the joke. I quite like the fact that they've stuck him in a cameo and he doesn't even get to be in it with the Spice Girls. Yeah. That's crazy. Has he got a daughter? <laughs> um, so then all meet, they all go to the cafe individually and all end up meeting there and all go, hey, let's not be horrible to each other. Let's be friends again. Yeah. And then they go, let's take Nicola, who's heavily pregnant, to the Ministry of Sound where it's really loud. The line that Mel B says is, why don't we take her out and go really mental? <laughs> that could mean anything. She's not only pregnant, she's overdue. <laughs> she's mentioned that in the other scene she's been in. She says, I, I was due a couple of days ago. So the best thing you can do is take her to somewhere that's really bass heavy. And give her loads of ecky. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so she I, gets thought, I thought there was actually a scene where she had a cocktail glass. But yeah. I looked a little closer and I was rewarded with a touch of product placement. She is drinking Pepsi. So she goes to the Ministry of Town, drops loads of Ecky. Yep. And then her waters break and she's got to go and have her baby. So they all go to the hospital with her. So they go to the hospital mm. and they're with their friend. And the nurse come, one nurse comes out. This is talking about the budget again. One <laughs> nurse comes out. In a room that is clearly not a real hospital. Yeah, it's just an empty room. But do you know what it looks like? The, the actual bit where they're waiting, where she comes over. Yeah. It looks like it's a shopping centre that's been shut for the evening. Yeah, it does. And that they've put them on some seats underneath the escalators. Yeah. And they've gone, do you know what that looks like? Hospital. Well... I told you it'd be a low budget. I told you I could bring this in for 18 quid. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, while they're in hospital, then a woman and a man come over and say, are you the Spice Girls? My son Malcolm Mm. is a massive fan, Mm. right? And Malcolm is unconscious, right? So they go over and see Malcolm. They start talking to him and they get nothing. 
And they start talking about Jerry getting her tits out. Yeah, yeah, more more Jerry attacking. Yeah. The only bits where Jerry is not having the other Spice Girls roll their eyes mm. or go, shut up, mm. is the bits where she's on her own. Yeah. And then she's dressing as Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that, and she's having a wonderful time. The second you put her with the other ones, they say to her, oh, maybe you should take your top off, Jerry. Yeah. Really sort of spitting it out. Yeah. Hey, hey Jerry, why don't you speak bullshit? See if that fucking wakes him up, you sad-eyed cow. When they're waiting for the birth, she says, let's have a game of I Spy. She says, I Spy multiplies something beginning with H. And baby goes, hospital. And Victoria just goes, shut up, Jerry. So baby's played. They've gone, this is a nice game. Shut up, Jerry. Not shut up, baby and Jerry. She leaves less than a year later. Yeah, it's fair enough. Um, so then this poor girl, Nicola, is going to decide she's have a baby. And again, this one nurse is there. She's having a baby with five women sat staring at her, which is enough to put anybody off. Yes. Especially she's like basically lying on her back. And They're very much down the business end. Yeah, and there's a joke about Victoria seeing the baby and being disgusted. Mm. She, she mentions loads of stuff about... Having a baby doesn't give you stretch marks, does it? And all this... You you don't contract stretch marks by being a godmother. Right, another man line, isn't it? Yeah, you, yeah. You, know, you, know what, you know what actually girls really like? Mm. They like chat about stretch marks. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Because they're really stupid, Mark. They're vain, they're stupid, and I've never met or spoken to one. <laughs> so, oh, we should also say that the reason Clifford is depressed is because the girls split up, but they still have to do their Royal Albert Hall gig the next day. Yeah. So, and he phones them and he says, you have to come to the gig. And they say, no, our friend's having a baby. And Nicola basically says, look, just fuck off and leave me alone. I've just had a baby. And the baby comes out enormous. It does. With no blood all over it. Yep, like eight years old. This bit is the kicker. As it comes out, they have that moment, you know, where the baby's there. And one of them says, now that is girl power. Girl power is specifically about you don't just have to validate yourself as a human being by traditional gender stereotypes. You don't have to have a baby to live a decent life if you're a woman. Hmm. That's girl power. You can be anything you want. And in that one fucking line, they sum up that whoever is in charge of this doesn't understand the basic concept of what the Spice Girls are, which is about freedom to choose and be whoever you want to be. And that, for me, was like, oh my God. How can you get this so wrong? Men. Bob's... No, not Bob Spires. Well, he's, he's to blame. Isn't yeah, he? they're all they're all quizlings. Fuck him. All collaborators for this male patriarchal bullshit. So now the baby's come out. And they're like, right, we're going to get to the Albert Hall. Quick, everybody jump in the bus. And at this point, right, they jump in the bus. Meatloaf's lying down on the ground. <laughs> he's What's he doing? Having, he's got the world's biggest bus, which has at least six beds in it. Yeah. And he's just asleep on the pavement. Yeah. Is it because he shattered all the toilets and blocked them? He's not allowed, is he? Just, could you not think of a reason that Meatloaf might not be on the bus? Do you know? Do you know what it could have been? He could have been in a cafe opposite yeah. having a sandwich. Yeah. No, just make him lie wide awake on the floor. <laughs> That's far more realistic an idea than a man might have got hungry. <laughs> I mean, do you know what's funny? Because you sit through this film for so long and you go, none of it's it's as funny as you want it to be and it's not as bad as you want it to be. And then just before the end, they give you that and you go, thank you. Thank you. It's absolutely perplexing. He could have literally been doing anything. The decision had to be... They must have come up 
with it to say, what should he be doing? He should just be lying on his back <laughs> on the pavement, staring into the... Yeah. I mean, he could be having a fag. No, no. <laughs> but you could have paid off the toilet joke earlier. You could have had him running out of toilets, yeah. trousers around the ankle, shaking his fist. Yeah. Hey! He could have been, been doing anything. <laughs> he could have been wiping graffiti off that said, we love you, Spice Girls. <laughs> it's just... There's literally the <laughs> options they had with that were infinite. Were infinite. It's essentially sleeping rough. <laughs> In the, and it's light. <laughs> oh, dear. So many people, so much money, <laughs> and, and you end up with that. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, then they hop on the bus and yeah. you get to see Victoria driving the bus with hilarious consequences. And then, meanwhile, George Went and Mark McKinney, who have been throughout the film pitching ideas for Spice Girls film to Richard E. Grant. And doesn't it just kill it dead whenever, yeah, they, whenever you sit back to them? Jeez. Yeah, I... but this one, they're pitching a sort of meta version of what's happening. So what he's saying is happening. So he's saying that they're on a bus trying to get to the Albert Hall. And then he's like, oh, and for some reason they're on the roof. And then you see them on the roof. Yeah. So we suddenly are the, the film that they're pitching. Yeah. Which sounds shit. Yeah. Is the film that we're watching. Yeah. Which is shit. Yeah. Oh God. And they get to the gig. You, then they do spice up your life in the Albert Hall. Yeah. And then they start splicing through all of the people that we've seen. So it's probably the only film where you're going to see Roger Moore doing a little dance as the Spice Girls perform. In a way, it's telling you the nineties are coming to an end. I did come out of it with a real affection for the Spice Girls that I didn't remember I had. I found it really charming, and yeah. I thought Britain in the nineties was sort of charming with all of its fucking orange plush fur and its quite sort of lurid. Austin Powers-y graphics. This looks like Austin Powers in yes, places. it does. It's a time capsule that, you know, I remember very well at the time that I hadn't actually thought about for years. I thought the 90s looked pretty much like now, mm. only I was younger. Yeah. And watching that with those five girls who are just so delightful. They're so delightful. And it's such a shame that they totally fucked this up. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because if you compare it to something like A Hard Day's Night, on its own as a film, it really stands up. And it's a perfect advert for the band. Whereas this is just a fucking embarrassment but, from start to finish. I mean, obviously, when they make Hard Days and Night, the people around the Beatles, they know what they've got. Mm. And it's something new and no one's ever seen it before. But they know what they've got and they know what the fans will like. Yeah. And they know how to develop it to the next stage. This seems like an epitaph. Yeah. Where they've gone, we've got a load of money out of it. This is the last big hurrah. So, fuck it. Mm. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? It, it's so disrespectful to the phenomenon that was the Spice Girls. For a lot of people, I think, not, not our generation. We're too old. Mm. But people who were younger who saw this, you know, this is the first time... You've got five female leads. Mm. You've got five female leads who aren't posh. Five well, female one leads. One of them is. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. That was the stupidest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no babies. No. There's no one ginger. No. No sports. No. But it is quite scary. It is scary. And at the end, you get this bit where they're wandering around the set while the credits are going up, talking to all the people involved who look quite embarrassed. That, that bit as well, they break the fourth wall and they, mm. they have a bit where they look out oh, God, and start I, talking I to you. I hate video. it when films do this. And then, as they're doing this, the bus blows up off screen and yeah. it blows up off screen because they can't afford to show you it on screen yeah. and then it just ends but you can go and see the bus apparently I think it's in the Isle of Wight there should be a museum of the Spice Girls in Watford that well yeah it would give a reason to go to Watford we've reached the point now we've fully digested Spice World where we're going to go to the quick fire questions fantastic so Mark Haynes who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film the best Bond is my first Bond I think a lot of people are the same my best Bond would be Roger Moore for my, my best Bond films, a toss-up between 
from Russia with Love, and I think Thunderball. Ooh, so best Bond is more, but best films are Connery. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So flipping that on its head, yeah. Who is the worst Bond, and what is the worst Bond film? I, I, I do think that the, the worst Bond is, is George Lazenby. Mm-hmm. I think he's in a knockout Bond film that could have been brilliant had it not been him. Yeah, I'd have to say it's George Lazenby. He's not really much of an actor. I think the worst Bond film, the one that I would be least likely to sit and watch, is Moonraker. No. Yeah, it's got my favourite Bond. I quite like Jaws, and it's just the space thing of it depresses me beyond belief. Okay, good. And who would you have as Bond next? My my dream Bond would have been Oliver Reed. Oh, that's a good shout. I think he would have been absolutely sensational. I uh, would say the person that I'd like to see do James Bond, probably not ready for it yet, I'd like to see him do it as he begins to get into early middle age, and that's Tom Hardy. Yeah. He has a an Oliver Reed, Robert Shaw-esque heft to him Mm. there's something about Tom Hardy that looks like if he punched you it would really hurt no I agree with Um, you I I think he'd be fantastic yeah so Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny Small Bone and Goodhead give me your best Bond lady name I I don't like the ones where the surnames are something rude Mm. because then I always think that their dad is called like Ron Vagina (laughs) and (laughs) he's had a really terrible (laughs) life and I sort of feel it's fine if you're an attractive young lady with a saucy name but I just think you know every time he rings a restaurant and he's you know her name's Minge Cock and everyone just going hanging up so I thought (laughs) I preferred the first name Uh so I came up with Kinky Perkins Kinky Perkins I like that yeah Kinky Sex was the other one yeah but I'd want that to be a character they keep referring to and when he turns up it's it's a really frightening bloke i think that would be a nice thing that we finally subvert that mm. bond thing that you know you sort of go oh you can tell a lot about someone from their name well kinky sex is here and he's going to batter you with a plank oh that's a good idea in a similar vein give me your best bond film title that you've just made up how do you feel about the expanded universe idea D- depends depends on what it is i want one called my name is fucking q Right, and it's just Q has had enough of fucking the passag shit that Bond gives him every time. And you go, I've spent seven years, we've lost eight men, and I've made this amazing thing. And Bond sort of goes, Yeah, don't don't show me how it works, mate. Looks like a load of old shit. I'd like to see one where Q just fucking has enough, and Bond goes out into the field, everything's booby trapped, and then Q decides to kill the Queen. Wow, it's a good idea. My name is fucking Q. Uh, and uh, a hypothetical fist fight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? Templer has got a good chance of doing well in the fight, but I think Bond in the end would cheat and he'd stab him in the neck with something. Yeah. So, yes. gentleman's rules, Templer the Saint. Bond's rules, Bond. Wonderful. And finally, you're stranded on a desert island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Leader? Was Lazenby quite a sort of army man? I don't think so, no. No? He used car salesman, wasn't he? Then him. Yeah. And uh, who would I eat? Yeah. Daniel Craig. But there's something about Craig I just don't think we get on. <laughs> I just have a feeling with him that he'd turn the, the bonds against me. I think he'd foment dissent. Yeah. So we're eating him. Good. Well, well Mark Haynes... Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, sorry to make you watch Spice World. I wanted my life to be spiced up, but actually it was just ruined. It was, yeah. Thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye. It's fine, Chief. Everything's fine. Oh, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. How bad is it? Imagine how bad it could possibly be. Yes? Well, it's worse than that. Oh, dear. Don't get upset, Chief. Oh, dearie me. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.